Could you be seated for a moment, please? I'd just offer uh, a brief reflection on the uh, Methodist meetings uh, this past week in St. Louis. The first thing I want to say is I have not put anything on Facebook or or out to you personally because uh, I believe that the bishop should have the first and uh, main word on on this. He is our uh, authority, and uh, we honor him and serve under him. Uh, The second thing I would just say is that personally, um, what happened in St. Louis is not what I hoped for. But uh, thirdly, um, let me say what it leaves me with is the idea and realization that we have lots of work to do um, as Methodist Christians. Uh, In a discussion like this, invariably, people will be hurt. And so uh, to those who've been hurt by this uh, discussion and decision, know that no amount of rationalization, explanation, or defense is going to be helpful. As in any situation of grief or hurt, the most important thing you can do is simply listen. Uh, Be with people and listen whether you agree or not to be present. Uh, So we have work to do uh, with people who've been hurt. We have work to do because by most accounts, the Methodist meeting started out as a prayer meeting and ended up as a political convention and became actually, um, uh, people began to demonize one another in their, uh, their pros and their cons. And so people could be demonized as unbiblical. Others were demonized as uncaring. Uh, let me remind you of something I said uh, last month at a, an open church meeting. And that is, uh, I have uh, interns that are on both sides of this thing in, uh, in St. Louis. I have uh, good friends who are bishops who uh, took different stances on this. All of them I know to be biblical. All of them I know to be caring. And so I would just encourage us in our discussions to not yield to the temptation to, to demonize and believe the worst about those who may not agree with a particular position uh, we have. I've, I've been encouraged through the years by Marcus Buckingham from the Gallup Group, his advice that uh, uh, we should always find the best reasons for a person's behavior and believe it, believe those reasons. So I would encourage you on that. And then finally, I think uh, we have a work to do in this community. Decisions made on a global level are not unimportant and they're not insignificant but they are not the work of the church. Only in the fourth century with the Romans uh, taking over the church and uh, councils and creeds, did we think the work of the church was to police what people uh, thought and make sure we had everything in right order. For the first three centuries, we thought our job was just to live and love uh, other people on behalf of Jesus in our daily life. And I think that is the task to which we are called, and that's the task at which you are so very good in this church. So my final word is just, we have work to do as a church in this community, and nothing uh, that's said at another place uh, takes away that opportunity or our ability to do it. So I would just remind you, as long as one person goes to bed tonight hungry, if someone goes to bed tonight lonely, if someone goes to bed with hatred in their heart toward another person, if someone goes to bed tonight unreconciled with a family member or a friend, if someone goes to bed tonight in pain, if someone goes to bed tonight without hope, if someone goes to bed tonight without knowing the redeeming power of the love of Jesus Christ and his unconditional acceptance, then we still have work to do. And what I'd like to say is, 
what I know about you is that's the work you're already doing. God bless you. Let's keep it up. And now would you please stand for the Shema? Would you follow after me in Hebrew? We'll join together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Lahenu. Adonai Chad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture this morning on Transfiguration Sunday is about the transfiguration of Jesus in Luke's account. And about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were believing Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, uh, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time where they had been. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Um, As we mentioned in the announcement, Donna is starting a new class on Peter this Thursday. And Donna, I have to tell you, I really appreciate Peter. But part of the reason I appreciate Peter is because you can watch his life in the Gospels and you can typically figure out what not to do. Peter makes the kind of mistakes I would make. And so I enjoy uh, watching him. And he made a whopper of a mistake today. This is a huge moment. Moses and Elijah, uh, Law and the Prophets, all the Bible pointing to Jesus on top of this mountain. And he decides the best response would be to build three shelters, three booths, three tents. And he gets rebuked by the voice in heaven. Now, I'd like to cut Peter some slack. Because first of all, if I'm trying to deliver a speech or a sermon and the presence of God came into the sanctuary, I don't think I'd say the right thing. In fact, I don't think I'd be able to say anything. And when the presence of God appeared, it can be uh, overwhelming. And so I'll give Peter that. And the second thing is we're told Peter was sleepy. I don't know if, if, if you realize this or not, but you're not the same person when you're tired. When my, our children were younger and they were having a bad day, I would always tell my wife, now, they're not bad, they're just tired. And we're not the same person and Peter's tired. And then give him this credit, though. I don't know if you realize, but the idea to build booths or tabernacles comes from the Feast of Sukkot that we celebrate here annually with the tent. And that's a very biblical thing to do. Zechariah 14 says that basically when the kingdom comes in its fullness and all the Zions will, uh, all the nations will go to Zion and recognize that God is the only one true God, it'll be Sukkot and they'll build tents and booths. So Peter just figures, kind of like, remember Sanford and Son, this is the big one, Elizabeth. He thinks this is it. And so he builds the tents. He's trying to be biblical, but he's wrong and he gets rebuked. So I have to learn from this and say, what did Peter do that wasn't right? And 
couple things I think of is, first of all, Peter basically sort of jumped to conclusions. Uh, Peter assumed that this was it when, of course, there was so much more left to do in Jesus' life. And, of course, so much more left for us to do before the kingdom comes. He wanted to kind of freeze that moment, that high moment, and just make it last forever. And as you and I know, high moments don't last forever. You know, there's always the the joy of uh, childbirth, and then there's always the changing of the diapers afterwards. You know, things aren't meant to last like that. And besides freezing it and telling Jesus that this is the time and the place is a form of control. And the fact of the matter is that we're not supposed to control Jesus. We are to be under his guidance and his control. So Peter basically messes up here trying to seize the situation and get it to where he can manage it, handle it, and preserve it. But the antidote is very helpful to me too. The antidote comes from the cloud. The voice of God in the cloud says basically this to Peter and to the other disciples that are there. Listen to him. Listen. I want to talk for a moment this morning or maybe a few moments about the importance of listening and following God and having a relationship with God. Because one of the things about listening is listening if we're if we're careful as listeners, it tends to make us less reactive, less controlling, and more responsive. If I don't listen to you, then whatever ideas I have in my mind, when I get with you, those ideas continue to operate. But if I listen to you, I might be open to some new way, a new thought, or a new opportunity. Uh, Basically, talking is often a form of control. Has anybody watched a congressional hearing or a Senate hearing. Most of the times they aren't hearings, they're talking. And each of the questioners gets their opportunity to put in their their two cents worth. And I'm not saying they are not of value, but I wouldn't say they, that's how we would define what listening should look like in, uh, in our context. It's less about us getting our ideas across and more about us being open to what uh, ideas can come across to us. And so my sense is that listening is fundamental to our faith. Um, A few minutes ago, we stood up and we recited the Shema. And the word in Hebrew means listen. It is an invitation every Sunday for you to listen, not to me, but to the voice of God, however it comes through the text or through a prayer that is prayed, through, a, uh, through something that's sung, through words that are spoken. Our uh, relationship with God is based on listening because we're not trying to control that relationship. We're trying to respond. Uh, oftentimes, if our relationship with God is based on what we see, in other words, is it working out for us? Is it not? Uh, do we like what's going on? And when we base it on our sight, Uh, then we become more observers. But if we're listening, we become more participants. And we're drawn in to the conversation with God. I was reading this week about the difference between ancient Greek society, which was based on seeing, and of course they had beautiful buildings and wonderful sculpture, and ancient Israel, which is based on hearing. And so one of the interesting things they said is, ancient Greece has a heavy emphasis on aesthetics. You know, the way things look. Ancient Israel has a great emphasis on ethics, what you do, because they want to know, are you listening? How has it shaped your life? In fact, rabbis sometimes teach that the very first sin, Adam and Eve, was because they followed their eyes and they looked at the fruit 
rather than their ears listening to what God had told them to do and not to do. Listening is fundamental to our faith, and it is especially fundamental to our life as disciples of Jesus, because what we need to do is make sure that we're listening to Jesus. So here's what I want to do now is say, how do you listen to Jesus? Let me offer a few thoughts. I think listening to Jesus, first of all, uh, starts with knowing the Jesus of the Gospels. So in other words, it starts by studying the life of Jesus, and you can do that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, We mentioned uh, last week Jewish scholar David Flusser. He once said this. He said, any person who claims to be a disciple of Jesus and does not read all four Gospels every month is a liar. Now, that's a little stark. That's a little stark. That's from a Jewish expert on the New Testament. But what he's trying to tell us who are Christians is, if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to know him. And one of the ways to know him is to study his life. Jesus said that where two or three of you are gathered, there I will be also. And I used to think, well, if we Christians get together and talk about the game last night, or we Christians get together and talk about what we might have for dinner tomorrow, or the weather, Jesus is there. I'm not saying he's not there. But the way Jesus and the early rabbis interpreted this was when two or three people studied God's word, God became present in the study. So study is one way that we can listen to Jesus. And of course, another major way we listen to Jesus is prayer. I hope it doesn't escape our notice that Peter took, I mean, Jesus took Peter, James, and John on top of the mountain with him in order to pray. It was a prayer experience. Prayer is, among other things, if not above everything, a listening to God, placing ourselves in God's presence so that we can hear what God is saying. And so we listen carefully in prayer for the voice of of Jesus. Now, one of the interesting things the transfiguration shows us is, as we probably already know, Jesus is the final and fullest interpreter of our faith. In other words, when you're trying to read the scriptures and you're struggling with an issue and you're trying to figure out what we are to do or not to do, part of it is to ask yourself, is this something Jesus would do or not do? Because Moses and Elijah are on the mountain, no question about it, and they are dazzling, but they are pointing to Jesus. It's a way. Moses and Elijah represented the whole Bible for the Jewish people, the prophets and the law, law and the prophets. And it's a way of saying the law and the prophets are very important, but the way to interpret and understand them is through Jesus. So whenever I'm struggling with the scripture, because sometimes you can find scripture will say one thing and then one book and say something slightly different in another, one of the things I have to do is listen to Jesus' voice. And when I draw a conclusion, I simply have to ask myself, is that the conclusion that Jesus would draw? And I only know if I'm listening in prayer and I'm listening in study, But Jesus teaches me that listening doesn't stop there. That oftentimes Jesus shows up in the most unlikely places so that if I really want to hear Jesus' voice and follow him, I am going to have to, believe it or not, open my ears to other people. The great Dallas Willard once said, when you look at how many times in the Bible God spoke through another person and not just directly from heaven like, now hear this, but spoke through other people, He said this, if you rule out listening to other people in your life, you are ruling out listening to a large part of the voice of God. Jesus is not just where we've always found him. 
In the New Testament, he's always going places where we don't expect. In the book of Acts, he even goes places uh, that were unimaginable. And I know sometimes we like to think of ourselves as missionaries, and we always say, we're taking Jesus to the world. Friends, Jesus is already, you're not taking Jesus anywhere. He's already there. What you're going to do is meet him there, out in the world, and listen to him in somebody else's experience, because he's already there. And if we're going to listen to him, we're going to have to listen to other people. And the beautiful thing is, not only will we hear Jesus, but if you listen to other people, you'll bless them as well. I remember the late John Claypool used to say this back in, and he said this in the 1980s. He said, nobody pays me $75 an hour to lecture to them, but a lot of people will pay $75 an hour to, to have someone listen to them. It is a powerful thing when we listen to other people, we open their heart, actually, not only to us, but to Jesus. And I think we hear him uh, at the same time. So if we're going to follow Jesus, and I know we are, we're going to have to do the one thing that Peter struggled with, and that is to listen. And to listen to Jesus is to say, you're important to me. And to listen to another person is to say, you're important to me. I remember what John Claypool said about his freshman year in college. He said he went off to college in the very first, uh, and it was a religious school, Baylor. And back then, there weren't a lot of places to eat. And so everybody kind of dressed up for Sunday uh, lunch there at the university. And he noticed one freshman sitting by himself, an upperclassman did. And that freshman was John. And he had no one to eat with. And, and the guy came and, and noticed that and sat down with him. And then checked on him later in the week. Did he, had he found his classes? Did he have his books? How are things going for them? So finally, after several times of this upperclassman reaching out to him, John said to him, look, why are you doing this? And the upperclassman said words to John, I will never forget. These are his words. He said, I want you to know that what happens to you matters to me. What happens to you matters to me. When we listen, we tell Jesus he matters. When we listen, we tell other people they matter. And that's part of what it is to follow Jesus.